0: Good evening, everyone. Derek told me it was time to start, so it's time to start. Welcome to everyone. Uh, Our first song is number 200, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. At the appropriate time, Chad Ward will lead our, do our first prayer and uh, provide the reading and then Gary Leap uh, will close us this evening in, in prayer. Let's stand while we sing 200. I'm going to sing all three verses without singing the chorus, and then come back and sing the chorus. So beware at the end of that first and second verse that we'll go back up to the top.
1: Hallelujah, praise hope
0: Next, is number 433. 433. Sing the first and last verses of this song before our prayer.
1: <clears throat> My Jesus, as thou wilt. seen, I gladly trust with thee. Straight to my home above I travel.
0: reversed obviously.
2: The reading this evening comes from 1st Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 26. 1st Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 through 26. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is a new testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's coming till he death till he comes. Bow with me, please. Father, we thank you for this uh, beautiful day you've given us and, and Father for the uh, health to be able to to be here today and and father those uh, who are home and not able to come with us to come and worship with us father we just pray that uh, that you'll bless them and we're thankful father that they do have a means to uh, to listen to your word and, and father we thank you for your word and we thank you for your son who came and died on the cross for our sins and and, Father, to be able to, to surround the table and and to remember that sacrifice that was made for us. And Father, we uh, ask that you'll be with us this evening as we uh, worship you and pray that we worship you in spirit and truth. And, and Father, we, we pray for those uh, in our congregation that, that are fighting sickness and some types of illnesses father whatever they may be we just uh, ask that you'll bless them and especially those who are mentioned here and those who are in our bulletins and help us father to remember them throughout the week and and to keep them in our prayers we pray you'll be with Chris this evening as he brings us uh, another lesson father we're thankful for him and his family and we're thankful for David and Mandy and their family and we pray that you'll continue To bless them, Father, as as they work in in spreading your word and working with us. Thank you for all that we have and for all of our blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Let's stand and turn number 321. This is the song before the lesson, 321. You're using a book. The song of invitation is 369. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it may not be
3: Last year, Kelly and I got the opportunity to go to uh, Cleveland. We were looking for beach glass. If you've never done that, it's a lot of fun. We like it. Uh, we didn't find what we were actually looking for when we, we started our trek up there. We had done a lot of research on it. And I figured out that there were marbles washing up on the shore of the Great Lakes. Apparently, if you lived in the 40s and 50s uh, in Cleveland, there was uh, an old... Uh, habit of uh, throwing marbles into the lakes maybe you were target shooting or one of the the urban legends how the marbles got there was uh, that uh, some of the landfills that the kids used to shoot the glass bottles and they would shoot the marbles uh, they would shoot marbles at glass bottles but some of those landfills got picked up and thrown into the Great Lakes, and so you can still find all kinds of wild, weird stuff in the Great Lakes. And so we went up there looking for marbles because they were washing ashore in massive numbers. We didn't find any marbles, but what we did find was sea glass. And Kelly has put these on our mantle now. So we've got some that are green. We've got some that are aqua. We've got um, some that are blue. We found a whole lot of blue. We found a couple of brown. Uh, There's some some more common colors, but um, brown, and red, orange are some of the the more rare type colors, but uh, that sits on our mantle (coughs) in our kitchen now, and every time we walk through there, we look on there and remember our trip. God's big on symbols and reminders, too. He likes physical reminders, and he's used those throughout the centuries for his people. Exhibit A is when the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River on dry land. Remember, they've already crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, and he didn't have them commemorate that in any way. Um, He had them commemorate Passover in a specific way, and we'll get to that in just a second. But the, the crossing of the Red Sea wasn't memorialized in any particular fashion, but fast forward 40 years when they the next generation, the faithful generation, the ones that trust God, when those folks cross over the Jordan River on dry ground and to fight the, the Canaanites who are still living in the land there, God tells them to each man, uh, uh, one, tro- one man from one of each tribe of Israel is to pick up a massive rock that's in the middle of the, the river and they're supposed to carry that rock. 12 rocks in total, and put them down on the other side of the, the, the river there. And when your children look at them and say, what's the deal with these stones? You're supposed to tell them, Israelites, that this is God's power. This is evidence of his power from the day that he split the Jordan River and we were able to cross through on dry ground. And then, of course, you proceed to tell the story of the, his faithfulness and tearing down the walls of Jericho. And then, of course, you can't overlook the rest of his faithfulness as he tears down the subsequent nations that are in Canaan and giving this land to his people who just one generation previously had been slaves. God's faithful, and he wants physical reminders for those faithfulness, for, of that faithfulness. And he's provided some of those. Physical reminders throughout the centuries for people. One of those physical reminders is Passover. (coughs) So you remember the story, right? When the Israelites are being held captive in Egypt, nine plagues have come through. The tenth plague is on its way. In an effort to get out of the way of this plague, God tells them to, tells the Israelites to paint blood in a specific way across the the door pieces and the mantle of their doors. And so they do, and when the death angel sees that blood on the doorway, he knows to pass over that house. Those people inside are God's people, those are the ones who trust him, who submit to him, who listen to him. And for out, throughout their generations, that was supposed to be a symbol, a reminder, Passover is, that this meal that they partook of that night was supposed to be a reminder of God's faithfulness in this act. Not only did he buy them out of Egyptian slavery, but he punished the Egyptians for their impudence, for the pain that they've caused his people over the last generation or two in slavery. So that Passover meal served as a physical reminder of God's faithfulness, of His power, of His blessings. So when we come to uh, the sermon or excuse me, when we come to the Lord's Supper, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, <coughs> excuse me, we come in contact with a passage that you know well, right? Gary read some of it for us this evening, but I wanted to take a quick look at it again as we walk through uh, this thought. Um, Throughout this year, I want to do a couple of of kids' sermons where we take a concept um, that maybe we're familiar with as adults, but maybe we don't. Pay it the attention it deserves. Or, or maybe we, because of our familiarity with it, have overlooked it or not given it the attention it deserves. And so I, I wanted to take tonight and talk about the Lord's Supper in terms that a kid can understand. So I'm really talking to the kids in, in the audience. If you're, you're 10, 12, or under or so, um, th- this lesson is for you. How many times... Uh, For us adults, has your kid looked over at you and said, "What's the deal with this, with the bread and stuff? Why, why they do it like that, right? Um, Why they, why the guys sit down here in front? Why, why they, why they on either side? What's the deal with the bread? And and why's the, why's the grape juice next? And why do we do it like this? And why can't I talk? (laughs) Right? Because it's quiet, right? And so that's why you can't talk because." People are, are thinking. So I wanted to take a moment tonight and walk through some of these thoughts. Because we've all had those conversations with our kids. But it's nice to have a reminder of why we do what we do. This is why we've gathered on Sundays. The Lord's Supper is why we're here. Um, worship, the singing, uh, is, is, is um, a corollary reason. Um, it's, a, it's an excellent reason to gather together. But to remember Jesus' his sacrifice and to celebrate his return is why we gather together. Uh, and so that pivotal point in history, we celebrate it every single Sunday. But it's easy to overlook its importance because of our familiarity with it. And so I don't want us to be um, able to fall into that trap. So I kind of wanted us to think through... Why we do what we do, so that we can do it better. So let's let's think through this um, this thought tonight about why we do the Lord's Supper like we do it. So if you've still got your Bibles open to First Corinthians eleven, look there in verse twenty three. This is Paul's. Reminder again to the Corinthian brethren: they've done some things right. Uh, often, when we think of the Corinthian church, uh, we think of a bunch of troublemakers who can't seem to get their lives together, <laughs> and maybe we identify with that. And the Corinthian church being called saints, um, maybe that bolsters us a bit, and it should, right? We should, we should see God's grace in that, and 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 feel the strength there. That's certainly the case. But as you read through First and Second Corinthians, you're just left with a laundry list of things that these folks have done wrong. But there are some things that they've done right. And in the first part of First Corinthians, Paul's commending them for some of the things that they've done well. When he turns to the Lord's Supper, he says, I can't commend you on this because you're not doing it well. In fact, you brought shame on the Lord in the way that you're doing this meal. And so he has a lot to tell them about this feast that they're taking. In their day, it would have been more like a common meal. Uh, it would have it been, um, uh, they, they would have had, uh, it wasn't, they didn't pass little crackers and tiny things of grape juice around, right? This was <coughs> bigger portions, you know. Um, and so while there was still, um, this, the symbology was still there, the symbols were still there, they meant the same things as they do today. Um, we have restricted the size of the symbols in an effort to stay away from, at least in part, some of the things that they had, the traps that they had fallen in, fallen into. They were treating it as a common meal. And so some of them were overeating and some of them were getting drunk and none of some of them, the rest of them didn't have, didn't get any of it. Uh, And Paul said, how dare you? This, 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 this is uh, you're not loving like you ought to. And, of course, the famous love chapter comes just two chapters after First Corinthians 11. Um, So he's not going to commend them here. In fact, he's got some some pretty harsh words for them, a lot of reminders um, to to do this time with the Lord well. Don't, lo- don't overlook it. Take it seriously. Um, give some forethought to this time with Him. Because it's not just, it's not supposed to be just something that we overlook. Or something that we do by, by, by root. Uh, this shouldn't just be a habit. This should be a cherished time that we gain strength from. And so they've missed the mark on that aspect of the Lord's Supper. It's easy to do, as you know. It's easy to, to, to focus on the baby that's crying or the one that's escaping the pew and running the 300-yard dash <laughs> to wherever he's going or whatever's going on with my cell phone. Or, it, distractions are plentiful, but this time is, is special. And so let's reinforce this, this time that we get to spend with the Lord um, on Sundays, specifically in the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Here it is. What did, what did Paul receive from the Lord? What did he tell the Corinthians already? He's going to tell them again. Here it is. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. We read that almost every Sunday, don't we? Have you ever stopped or when was the last time you stopped to think about the significance of that phrase? This is my body, which is for you. The old King James says broken for you, but they fixed it. In the subsequent translations, because broken's not in the original, because his body wasn't broken. You remember the, the psalm that says, not a bone in his body was broken. He didn't have any broken bones, and so his body was not broken. Paul didn't say his body was broken. And every time, I grew up on the old King James. And that's what I've got that, that passage memorized as. So I can't quote it anymore um, out loud, because I quote the old King James, and broken isn't in there. But when I go back and listen... And read that text again during the Lord's Supper. My mind is transported hard and fast back to that moment when not a bone in his body was broken, but it was willingly given for me. This is your this is my body, which is for you. It's for you. It's a substitute for you. He's taking the punishment that was intended for you. For us, but He's also through His body giving us the grace that is for us so that we don't have to endure the punishment <coughs> that is due to us. This is my body that is for you. That ought to stick with us, right? Sometimes we feed our kids peanut butter at night. Do you guys do this? Sometimes we feed our kids peanut butter at night. You know why? Because they've just eaten supper, and they say, I'm still hungry. You all's kids do that? You guys do that, don't you? Yeah, okay. My kids are nodding. You better be. So we give them peanut butter at night because it sticks with them, right? It sticks with them. Even when the half a pound of cheeseburger that they ate just didn't. But peanut butter seems to stick with them. All that extra protein sticks, sticks on them, right? This ought to stick with us. This 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 phrase, it ought to stick with us. This is my body, which is for you. Why did he come? Why did he leave heaven to come here? Well, Philippians 2 tells us that he did it for me, that he did it for you, that he didn't account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on tightly to. He held it with an open hand. And so when his sacrifice, when his coming to earth was necessary, he willingly gave up deity to come be like us. So that he could know your temptation. So that he could know what I'm thinking. So he could think what I'm thinking, but not fall prey to the temptation that took me down. His body was given for you. When we run through the Lord's Supper, when we, when we observe the Lord's Supper, these are thoughts that need to resound in our head like a bell chiming. You ever watched one of those big bell, like a Liberty Bell or something, one of the big bells and the, what do you call that thing in the middle that dings, the dinger? That's what I'm going to call it. Um, when the dinger hits and it reverberates, this this thought, this is my body that's given for you. That that for you ought to reverberate through our heads. That ought to be something we can't shake. I ought to feel oh, so many emotions ought to run through our heads when, when we think that, right? Guilt, I, I think, but overwhelming pride, overwhelming joy. Should, should be at the top of that list, um, that I now have an opportunity to be not only with Him, but forgiven here, a part of His body here, given a ministry that can possibly, potentially bring Him glory here. It, it's more than just heaven, right? It's good life here. It's, it's working together with Him here. His body was given For me for all those things so much more than salvation but salvation at the very top of the list that ought to ring through our heads that ought to be something we can't get out of our minds that his body was given for us not broken because scripture says it wasn't broken but given for us i think that thought ought to reverberate through our heads The next phrase he uses is a phrase he's going to come back to again when he talks about the fruit of the vine. He says, do this in remembrance of me. When you do this, be thinking of me. Remember me as you're taking this these emblems, right? Don't, don't let your mind wander, have focused attention that that dinging, the ringing that's in our heads of what an incredible thing he's given to us with this body and the ministry that he's given us and the potential that he's allowed us to have and the salvation that he's given, impugned to us. All those things are ringing through our heads as we take this, we do so as remembering him, honoring him, Verse twenty-five, he says, "In the same way." When he says "in the same way," he's talking about he, he prays. I would imagine um, he's reminding us that he that he prayed like like we do on Sunday mornings. We pray not just for uh, the, the the bread, but we also pray for the fruit of the vine. Jesus did the same thing. So, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, "This is the this cup is the new covenant in my blood." New covenant. Hebrews talks about a new covenant, doesn't it? How much better, how much richer, how much broader, how much deeper, how much more beautiful, how much more costly this new covenant is than the old one that they used to be under, right? And they used to have to continually come back to that altar to make these sacrifices every year. There was never full atonement for sin. There was only pushing it forward. There was only putting it off. You ever been in trouble? Remember, we were talking to the kids tonight, right? You ever been in trouble? And 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 pushed it off, put it off. You stayed away from your parents, maybe. You didn't you didn't talk about it. And it just kind of kept on getting down the road a little bit, right? You just kept pushing it off. <coughs> That's what they did with their sins. And there was always a constant reminder that that other shoe was just about to drop, that they were about to be found out, that he was going to call in the wrath that they rightly deserved. There was always that reminder that that, that that was coming. But now... Under the second covenant, under this new covenant that that we get to enjoy, he says, this, this blood that I've shed, remember it's for you. This blood that I've shed for you, it washes all that stuff away. All, all those sins, all the mistakes, all the bad decisions, all the silly foolishness that we were so wrapped up in. He says, all that's gone now. You don't have to worry about that anymore. I've, I've wiped that away through the power of my blood. And this is a weekly reminder to you of the costliness of that sacrifice. We shed blood sometimes, don't we? Have you ever got a cut or something like that and it hurt? He didn't have to bleed. We sing a song called, he could have called 10,000 Angels. He could have called one angel, and that one angel would have obliterated the earth. Unfathomable power, right? He could have called every angel that heaven had had at its disposal and would not have had to do any of this and just obliterated mankind and all of that is completely within his power and his right. But he gave up his rights so that he could be with us. So they can have a relationship with us. And so when I read that this is cup is the new covenant in my blood, this is a physical reminder of that costly blood. And because it cost him so much, it ought to cost me something too. There ought to be... A reciprocal nature. There's a word for kids, right? There ought to be, there ought to be a, um, um, a response from me because of what he's done. How should I act because of what he's done? Who should I be because of what he's done? What has he called me to be and who is he called me to be? More importantly than even my actions is who I am. So when I'm taking the Lord's Supper, those are things that are going through, reverberating through my head. He says again at the end of 25, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're celebrating his death. We're looking forward to his death. Or we're looking forward to his return. Every single Sunday, we're, we're celebrating that moment in time that we know that we're hurtling towards. We're, we're just waiting for it. Is this the week that it's going to happen? Not today. We wait some more so that one more can come to repentance because he's slow. To anger, not wishing that any should come, or not wishing that any should perish, but that all... Should come to repentance, right? And so we're every week proclaiming his death until he comes. We're reminding ourselves of this sacrifice. We're we're celebrating his imminent return every single Sunday. Flew back over to Isaiah fifty-five. I just can't. Uh, I just can't think of the Lord's Supper without going back to. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. This is one of my favorite passages. It has been for a long time. Um, I think it puts us in the right mindset to take the Lord's Supper. If we had stayed in 1 Corinthians 11... He indicts them because they're not—they're not thinking right. Um, not only they're not doing the right things, but when they do those things, their minds aren't in the right spot. They're—they're they're not. <coughs> they're not thinking through why they do what they do. And so, what where should your mind be centered when you take the Lord's Supper? What should you be thinking about? Isaiah 53 is helpful for us here, I think. Let's just start in verse 1. He says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like young plants, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. The Lord of glory, check this out, the Lord of glory came down And he wasn't even handsome. He didn't have any majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He didn't want, I suppose, his appearance to be what attracted people to him. He wanted his truth to be what attracted people to him. In verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. That new song we're singing, um, You Were Despised and Rejected, uh, comes straight from Isaiah 53. And it reminds us of the way he was treated, doesn't it? And you can put yourself at the foot of the cross and just see these people hurling insults at him. Who has the power to, if he just asked, to wipe them off the planet like they never existed. To wipe the planet off the planet like it never existed. But he takes their rejection and their mockery. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Something he became used to. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We're just as guilty of that as the people were there at the cross. Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. What do you think about Jesus? What did they think about him? They thought that he was guilty. That he deserved this. That this was just punishment. Isaiah says, surely not. That's my punishment that he got. I deserved it. He did not. In fact, he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But he was pierced in verse 5. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That blood that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11. This cup is a a reminder of my blood. It healed you. Jesus' blood is the only thing that could have healed us. It demanded a pure sacrifice. It demanded blood. He's always had this. It's always been the way he's thought. That for there to be reconciliation, there has to be blood. There has to be death. But now there's got to be perfect death. There's got to be someone who's never once sinned and that's not you and it's certainly not me and so he had to come bear that upon his own body and that blood healed us all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned every one in case you thought you were exempt from this Isaiah says no sir every one of us to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all He he was oppressed and he was afflicted Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Skip down to verse 10. He says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It was God's will to crush him. For you. This is my body that's given for you. God decided before creation ever happened that this was what was necessary, and he worked out the plan. And at the appropriate time, Paul would say in Galatians, we'd use the term in the fullness of time. Jesus came at the at the perfect time to disseminate, to, to get his message out to the masses. He came. So that he could die for you. And so what's your response to him? Whenever there's an incredible gift like this, there's always an incredible response, right? So what's your response? (coughs) He's offered salvation. He's offered partnership in ministry. How unbelievable is that? That he would work with us after having saved us after all the things that, how how far away we were, in the faraway country, that he would bring us close to himself and give us a job and say, you get to represent me now. You You get to be my ambassador. Here's my name tag. Act accordingly. How phenomenal is that? But through the power of baptism, we have our sins washed away. We become a brand new creation someone who's now, because of Jesus' blood, his body that was given for us, has been made worthy of that name tag, Christian. Today, maybe you've already made the decision. You are a Christian. You're proudly wearing God's name tag, but you're struggling. We want to pray for you that you can be who God would have you to be, that that name, Christian, can be one worn with honor, um, and that you can bring glory to that name. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, will don't you come as we stand and sing.
0: Jesus, the loving shepherd, call free now to
4: Good evening. Just a few announcements. Uh, Just remember, um, Young at Heart, is this Tuesday at 10 a.m. Meet here at the building. Also, CYC is this coming weekend, so if you are planning to attend CYC, be here at the building on Friday morning at 9 a.m. so they can get the bus loaded and uh, have a prayer, and then they will depart around 9.30 a.m. again. That's on Friday. Also, they're still in need of some snacks. So if you're able to help out with that, there's a sign-up sheet on the foyer of uh, items that they're looking to take, and if you're able to bring those in by Wednesday, uh, Wednesday they would appreciate that. Also, just a reminder that the elders and deacons will meet right after services this evening, and then uh, just further out, uh, for planning purposes, March 15th and 16th will be the men's retreat at Howes Mill. Uh, prayer list updates, continue to pray for Jimmy Wilgus, Jim Martin, Jackie Hutchinson, Friday Simpson, Roger Kaufman, and Jim Haney. That is all the announcements that I have. If you haven't had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it's uh, available in the conference room through that door. You can leave and do that, uh, take that at this time, and we'll have one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Psalm
0: number two hundred fifty, verses one, two, and five.
1: How sweet, how heavenly
5: Let us pray. Dear God, our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for this opportunity, Father, for the way in which you bless us with good health and the means to to get here safely and, Father, to, to worship you. We're thankful for this Lord's Day and, and mindful, Father, of, of what it means. I ask your blessing upon each of those who are in need of your blessing, upon your those that are in need of your healing hand, Father, that you will watch over them and and that you will allow them to return to be here with us. We're thankful for Chris and for the lesson that he brought to us this evening and mindful, Father, of, of what the Lord's Supper means and, and we're so thankful for for the ability to be here and to partake of it. Father, most of all, I'm thankful for the gift of your son who went to the cross to to bear the, the burden of our sin. Father, forgive us when we sin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.